we're in uh, Luke chapter 2. We've been doing uh, different characters in the Nativity story. Uh, so we've done Mary, we've done Joseph. And with each character, we're thinking about what do they show us about Christ? How do they give us uh, more uh, of a glimpse of what Christ is like? Uh, and this morning, we're into uh, the shepherds. Uh, a very well-known story in Luke uh, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Uh, let me read for us, but before I do that, let me pray. Our Father, we pray that your spirit would come to us um, and open the eyes of our hearts. Please help us to see uh, new things. Uh, give your spirit uh, to us so we might become wiser uh, people, we might be filled with more knowledge uh, but to the end of loving Christ and serving him better on earth. We pray you do that through your words this morning in Luke 2. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 2. Uh, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time gave, came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was the, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those of whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened and which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days... When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. John Lang uh, was born in 1879, and he was a construction uh, heavyweight. If you're into construction, you'd know that. Uh, he, he owned a company called John Lang Group, PLC, uh, and by his death in the 1970s, uh, it provided over 10,000 uh, jobs uh, early in 2000. Uh, just 15 years ago, it turned over a profit of a billion pounds. Now, I read about him as a small child. He had a little 
uh, autobiography, which I read. And so I can't remember all the details. Uh, but the story goes something like this. Uh, he owned a bunch of factories which produced his building supplies. And uh, at the lunch hour, uh, the factory workers got together in the cafeteria to have lunch. And among them came a new worker, a new guy. And he started asking all sorts of questions about the job. Uh, what's the food like here? Well, it's not great. It's all right. Uh, what's the working conditions like? Uh, yeah, there's this and this are good, but on the whole, there's a few things which could do with fixing up. What are your bosses like? What are the foremans like? Yeah, I mean, they're nice, but again, maybe a few things that we could change. And the next day, uh, to their surprise, uh, all the changes start happening. Uh, and the workers quickly realize uh, that everything they talked about in their conversation uh, related to the things that were changing. Uh, because the new guy who had come among them was their CEO, John Lang. He uh, was up in his office and he wanted to know uh, what their work conditions were like. So he tousled off his hair, he took off his suit and his shoes, put on workman clothes and came down to them. And there's all sorts of parallels we could draw with the Lord Jesus there, isn't there? There's all, thing, all sorts of things we could say. Uh, but I want you to notice this thing. Why didn't the others recognize him? This new guy among them, why didn't the others recognize him? Well, because he looked so ordinary. He looked like them. He didn't look like the guy who had the radical power in his hands to transform their lives. If they had, if they'd realized he was John Lang, well, they would have changed the way they looked at him, wouldn't they? They looked at him very differently and treated him very differently and probably answered him very differently. Now, this morning, our, our, our passage, this shepherd's story, is quite unusual in the sense that it's the only, Luke is the only gospel that has it. So none of the other gospels uh, have this account. It's only 12 verses long, and the shepherds don't really come in again. Uh, they appear and then they disappear. They don't really come into the rest of Luke. They don't really come into the rest uh, of the New Testament. Why are they here? What are they doing? Well, many things, but the first thing uh, to notice is Luke writes about the shepherds to change the way we see. It's the first thing to think about this morning. We need, we need to change the way we see. If the factory workers had known who John Lang was, uh, they would have changed uh, the way they saw him. We need to change the way we see. We need to stop looking at Christ with human eyes and start looking at things with heaven's eyes. Uh, just look down at how Luke's account is structured. Verses 1 to 7, we have Jesus' birth. And it's a very ordinary birth. In fact, it's less than ordinary. So it's a weak birth. You've got Mary and Joseph who were peasants, and they're ordered about by Quirinius, the governor of Syria. He says, go, and they went uh, to Bethlehem, a backwater town. When they get there, they're not even staying in the inn, uh, never mind a palace. Uh, and Jesus is born, uh, and where do they lay him? In a manger, wrapped up in swaddling clothes. He was a helpless baby, wrapped up tight. And, and the account could go straight from verse 7 to verse 21. He's laid in the manger because there's no place for them in the inn. And at the end of eight days, verse 21, 
When he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. That would be a very natural flow, wouldn't it? And so the shepherd's story is inserted by Luke. Why? Well, to help us change the way we see. We see something similar going on with the angel's announcement. I wonder if you notice how bizarre it is. We've got the names, angels appearing to shepherds, uh, and they uh, come announcing, verse 10, worldwide good news. Good news for the whole world. It doesn't matter if you're from Portugal or Peru or Poland. This is news for you. What's the news? Verse 11, uh, a saviour. A promised king, the one that the whole of Israel has been waiting for. And verse 12, the sign? Well, it's not the sign you'd expect, is it? A baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then the heavens open uh, and a choir of angels appear singing God's glory, announcing world peace. Heaven is torn back so we see what is going on. Did you notice the pattern? You've got high, high, very low, very high. Why? Well, we're being exposed to reality, the reality of Jesus' birth. When the world looks at Christ in the manger, what does it see? Well, something very ordinary. When heaven looks, it sees something extraordinary. The nativity scene for us today has become cute, hasn't it? It's become fuzzy. It's become something uh, which families can unite around, something uh, to find joy and peace in in difficult times. But if you'd been there on Christmas Day, well, you have walked on by Christ. You would not have noticed him. Uh, Christ looked weak then. Uh, On the days on earth, he looked weak. He was a helpless baby, wrapped up tight. Isaiah 53, a prophecy about the Lord Jesus, picks up on this. It says, Isaiah 53, verse 2, he says, The Lord Jesus had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty about him that we should desire him. He looked weak, ordinary, not beautiful. And he looked ordinary in his death as well. Uh, even weaker than in his birth, he looked like a common, common uh, criminal. Again, Isaiah 53 picks up on this. He says, who considered, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Jesus was crucified as a common criminal, strung up to die. And who considered it? Who cares? No one. Christ looked weak then. But Christ also looks weak now. Yes, as Christians, if we know God's word, we know that Christ is glorified, we know he's sat at the right hand of the Father, we know that all power and dominion and authority has been given to him, so we know he's strong. But that's not what we see. That's not where we see Christ. We don't see Christ in heaven yet. Where do we see him? Well, we see him in his church, in Christ's church central leads in our context. Uh, the New Testament, Paul, in fact, describes the church as the body of Christ. We are his hands and his feet. You want to see Christ today? Look at his church. And don't we look weak? Don't we look 
insignificant. I don't, I don't know how you feel about church this morning after a month of lockdown, after eight months of predominantly watching YouTube online on a Sunday. Don't you feel the weakness of church? We're 50 people out of tens of thousands in Leeds. We've had very little influence here, very little impact. Some, but very little in the grand picture of things. Our carol service, our online carol service, I mentioned at the start. How, how many people realistically are going to watch that? I've got no idea. It's certainly not going to be the whole of Leeds, is it? Our worship this morning. How does it feel? Probably feels a little bit strange. You're certainly not going to go away from this service thinking, wow, that was powerful. Wow, the atmosphere was just amazing. Now just imagine the world looking at us in our weakness. Imagine the president of America. Imagine the president of China. Uh, the EU bending down and peering at us and squinting because we're barely visible to them. We're just a speck on the horizon. And they look at us and they pause and they take breath. And what do they say about us? What do they pronounce? Weak. Insignificant. And they move on and they forget us. But that's not what the shepherds see. When they look at Christ in the manger, that's not what they see. Christ looks ordinary. He looked ordinary then, he looks ordinary now. But the shepherds don't see that. After the announcement, they say, verse 15, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, they went and they saw the sign, which is Jesus in the manger. And then what do they do? Well, they go out proclaiming him, spreading, the, uh, spreading his word, spreading what they've seen to others. And in verse 20, uh, they're transformed. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. I wonder if you notice what's going on there. Uh, they're responding like the angels, aren't they? What the angels doing? Verse 13 and 14, they were glorifying and praising God. What were the shepherds doing? They're glorifying and praising God. They're joining in with the heavenly choir, joining in with heaven's perspective on reality. They were no longer looking through human eyes, but looking through heaven's eyes. Now, who are we in the passage? Who are we? Because we're not the shepherds. We haven't seen, or at least I haven't seen, I don't know about you, I haven't seen an angel choir come to me from heaven. Heaven ripped apart, an announcement made. We're not the shepherds. We're more like the listeners, verse 17. Those who hear the shepherds tell their story, that's who we're like. Now, those who, those who listening, listen to the shepherds and the story, some of them wonder, Mary treasures up what she's told and ponders it. Uh, but I wonder how many were moved to faith? How many uh, responded to the message and joined the shepherds glorifying and praising God? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Uh, but I know this. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And uh, So my question for you this morning is how are you responding to heaven's revelation? How are you responding to heaven's revelation? The world says all sorts of things about the Christian faith. One of the things it says is that Christ is irrelevant. 
says that Christ is small, his church is small, his church is weak, his church is wrong, has no place today, it's powerless, ineffectual. And we know that's not true if we know God's word, but that attitude can seep in under our skin. It can leave us feeling dissatisfied. Leave us feeling unexcited about, unexcited about gathering to worship. It leads to thinking that our evangelism is actually ineffectual. We need to stop listening to the world and change the way we see. Take, for example, our worship this morning. We look at it and it looks weak. You're not going to go away thinking, wow, that was powerful. That was amazing. But heaven says otherwise. Hebrews chapter 12, talking about the gathering of worship. Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, before God, the judge of all. From heaven's perspective, our worship this morning is a massive, massive deal. We won't see that if we're purely looking at it through human eyes. And most importantly, of course, we need to be looking at Christ as heaven reveals him. It's worth saying, if you don't know Christ this morning, if you're not a believer, it's worth asking the question, have you been deceived by the world? Have you been deceived by the world? Have you started judging the church according to your standards of power or strength? or righteousness, or whatever. Our passage comes to us this morning and says, change the way you see, stop looking at things to human eyes, and start looking at things through heaven's eyes. But what do we see? We've talked a lot about changing the way we see, haven't we? But what do we see about Christ? We see this, our second point this morning. We see that Christ is the dawn. We see that Christ is the dawn. We actually get a visual picture of this in verses 8 and 9. The shepherds are, are, are watching their sheep in a field, keeping watch by night. And then the angel appears, and what shines? Well, the glory of the Lord shines, light piercing into the darkness. And that's really what dawn is, isn't it? light coming and chasing away at the darkness. Luke is providing for us a visual experience of light breaking into darkness. Now, now why? Why do I say Christ is the dawn? Because it doesn't say Christ is the dawn. It would be, be hard to draw a conclusion just from verses 10 to 14. Just, if you've got a Bible, which you might not, if you've got a Bible, just look up uh, to the passage before, and I'll read it for us. Verse 76 a new child, talking about John the Baptist, who comes before Jesus, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord, that's Jesus, to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. And then what? Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit, visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Zachariah in his prophecy calls Jesus the sunrise. And the angels are saying, the dawn is here. 
Christ, the helpless baby, is the dawn. What is he dawning on? Verse 79. Days he sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Christ comes to dawn on the shadow of death and all that it brings. Perhaps you've been particularly aware of that uh, during the last year with COVID and the dark shadow of death that COVID brings. I've been more aware of death than ever before in our generation. The daily count of how many people die is dreadful. The shadow cast by it, which affects us in all sorts of ways, not just death, but leads to our isolation from one another, which is another kind of death, really. A loss of all sorts of beautiful things that we hold dear. Illness, bereavement. Christ comes dawn on that darkness. Have you ever watched? Have you ever watched a sunrise? It'd be easier this time of year to watch it because the sunrise is earlier. But if you go out when it's completely dark before the sun rises, uh, you'll notice all sorts of things as it rises. The first thing you'll notice is, is perhaps if, if it's the right time of year, you'll see a, a, a bright morning star over in the east. And then you'll notice that the sky in that direction starts turning grey. If you look the other way to the west, you'll see the stars are all still there in the sky. Uh, but in the east, they start disappearing as the grey spreads. And uh, soon enough, uh, you can't see many stars at all. They're all gone, apart from perhaps uh, the brightest few. And uh, now the sky in the east is not just grey, uh, but coloured. Uh, a grey mixed of orange, grey mixed with yellow. And now the stars really have all gone. And any clouds in the sky have started picking up pink streaks uh, in them. And then suddenly everywhere colours are appearing. Birds start singing. Objects start taking on uh, more appearance, lighting up. And if you're lucky, you'll start seeing this rays of the sun come over the top before you see the sun itself. And you know what's coming, don't you? If you've been through that experience, you know the sun is going to rise. Now, I'd like to suggest that the whole Old Testament up to this point has been something like that experience of dawn. Adam plunged us into the darkness of death and sin. When he took from the fruit, God told him not to take from him when he rejected God. Uh, he plunged us into darkness. Uh, but almost immediately, Genesis 3.15, almost immediately, a bright morning star appears and God promises a serpent crusher, one to conquer death. And all the way through the Old Testament, through Abraham and Moses, David, stage by stage, promise by promise, chapter by chapter in the Old Testament, the dawn has been coming. The dawn has been coming. And you know what's coming as a result. The sun is going to rise. And so the angels have appeared to the shepherds to say that. The sun has come. Christ is the dawn. He shines everywhere. Verse 10. Anyone can come into his warmth. He is the saviour king. He is the one come to undo what Adam did. To take away death and darkness. Verse 14. Finally, 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 there's possibility of peace on earth. Not peace in the sense of world peace, but peace of God. 
Adam started a war when he rejected God, and Christ comes to bring that war to an end. Say that people, you, me, can come into God's pleasure and not his wrath. Christ looked like an ordinary baby, and the angels come and say that Christ has dawned on the world. There's something more in this passage we need to dig out, though. I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe it's heard me talking, you kind of know it's true, uh, but you don't feel it. You don't feel that Christ has dawned. You don't feel the light piercing the darkness. Well, the last and third thing we need to see uh, this morning is Christ is your dawn. Christ is your dawn. It's not just the dawn out there. He is your dawn. When the sun rises, it does dawn on everyone, doesn't it? Everyone receives the sun. But don't miss that when it rises, it dawns on you personally. When the sun rises in Leeds, everyone in Leeds knows the sun has risen. Don't miss that it has risen on you personally. Because it is possible to not know it's risen, actually, isn't it? It's possible to close your eyes, to go down to the cellar, to blindfold yourself. If you did that, you would not know the dawn had come. You would not know the dawn had come for you. Where do we see that in the passage? Well, uh, we see that first because the angels appear to the shepherds. Um, shepherds become famous and popular as a, as a result in the, in the nativity story. Uh, but they're not. The point of the angels appearing to them is that they are insignificant. The angels did not appear to kings, did they? Not appear to the great, to the celebrities, to the rich, to the powerful, and they appeared to shepherds. And we don't know who they are. They appear and they disappear in the passage. And they come and they announce to the shepherds this, verse 10. They don't announce, I bring the world good news, verse 11. They don't announce, do they? For unto the nation of Israel, I bring good news. No, they say, I bring you good news. For unto you is born this day a saviour. It's the greatest message the world has ever told. And who does it come to? Shepherds out watching the flock by night. Christ has dawned in your darkness, no matter how small you are, no matter how little you are in the world's eyes. His dawn is for you. What is your darkness? It's a question worth asking, isn't it? What is your darkness? It manifests itself in all sorts of ways. There's all sorts of ways we can feel the darkness of this world. I wonder what jumps to mind when I say that. That relationship you have, that struggle you bear, that burden, that pain that no one else knows about apart from you, that grief that heartache, perhaps even that death. All different ways that darkness comes to us. But can I say to you this morning, the cause is the same. The cause of our darkness is the same. It's our rejection of the Lord. The world's rejection of him, the source of life, that plunges us into darkness. It's very easy to think that our darkness is caused by something out there, coming in and invading us, and we're pure and we're light. 
And yes, darkness does come from the outside, from others. But the source of darkness is us. We need not look outside of us to see darkness. We only need to look inside of us. Ernest Shackleton was an uh, explorer and adventurer in the early 1900s. And he took an expedition down to Antarctica in his ship, the Endurance. And his aim was to cross Antarctica, across the South Pole, and join up with a ship on the other side. Uh, but they quickly met a problem. Uh, right at the start, uh, their ship froze in the ice. And so they faced a several months of survival. And I wonder, what do you think was their most difficult challenge? What would they have found hardest? What do you think you would find hardest about being stranded, no hope of rescue in Antarctica? Uh, perhaps uh, food shortages, uh, warding off starvation. Uh, surely the cold, not getting frostbite and dying from being frozen. Uh, but those who survived... I said, no, those things were severe challenges, uh, but the worst of the lot was the endless pitch black polar night. I wonder if you can imagine it. Imagine the despair and the disorientation and the desolation of no dawn, day after day, no way to keep time, no light, relying on yourself to provide your own light, relying on yourself to light your own way with your own lanterns. They say it sent people mad. And that polar night, that deep, desolate, external night, is something like our internal darkness, our desolation, our disorientation, uh, the way we try and light our own way of our own little lanterns instead of turning to the Lord, who is the source of all light and life, Unable and unwilling to turn to him. Our passage this morning comes to us and says, Christ has dawned on that darkness. He has dealt with your rejection. He has come to die for you. He is, if you like, a saviour sunrise. He has come to bring peace and to reconcile you with the Lord your God. Like the shepherds. Uh, we need to open our eyes to this. It's very easy to get caught up at Christmas, to get caught up in all the uh, sentimental goo that our society pours on us. And there's some good things in that. But ultimately, it hides from us the reality of what Christ has come to do. Can I encourage you this Christmas? Change the way you see. Open your eyes. See with heaven's eyes. Have faith like the shepherds did and live by it. Let me pray for us. Our Father, um, we so often look at the world, look at Christ and his church uh, through our own eyes, through the world's eyes, and we see weakness, and we see powerlessness, and so it disheartens us. But Father, we, we pray that we would see with heaven's eyes, see as you revealed, as you have revealed things to be. Uh, Father, thank you that Christ has come to bring light to our darkness. He came to die uh, for us so that we might know you. We pray that we'd uh, bask in his light uh, this uh, December. In Jesus' name, amen.